turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you have your Bibles, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We can put one in your hands. But uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we'll wrap up uh, this three-week series and finish this 13th chapter tonight, starting with verse 8. So we've covered verses 1 through 7. And we'll be doing something similar as we go through the Psalms as what I've been doing through these passages uh, here in 1 Corinthians. So very similar with the Psalms and breaking it down and, and understanding. I think it'll really minister. And I really believe as we go through the Psalms, it will probably be that God will have us in Psalms that will match what's going on in your life or in this world. And God just has a way of doing that. That you know, you'll be in this passage and then, wow, this really ministers. It hits home to right with where I'm at or what's going on um, in the news and things that are troubling me and things like that. So, First uh, Corinthians chapter 13, picking it up with me in verse 8. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now, in, uh, now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also have known. Won't that be amazing and great? Verse 13, and now abide faith, hope, love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Father, we come before you tonight, and we're so grateful for your love. We're grateful, Lord, that it's because your love we're saved. It's because your love uh, that we want to worship in song tonight. It's because your love that we want to be kind to one another and have fellowship and relationship. It's because of your love that we can have a loving marriage. It's because of your love that we can sit under the Word of God and love to hear the Word of God. And it's not uh, offensive to us anymore. No, Lord, it is necessary for our life. Uh, Lord, there's many people outside these four walls that are living, but they're not alive. And Lord, your love has made us alive in Christ Jesus. So we're thankful for so great a love. And Lord, we don't even comprehend the depth of it, the breadth and depth of it. Lord, I pray that tonight we get another taste of just how deep and wide your love is. Lord, I ask for the help in ministry of your spirit as we look into your word. May it indeed be a refreshing midweek respite for each and every person, those here, those online. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Long after this world has been judged and destroyed and remade, and all of mankind has entered into a state of eternity. Everyone's going to eternity. It's a question of where, right? Long after mankind has entered into a state of eternity, many things that you and I see every day will be gone forever. And for those of us in Christ, we'll be glad and we'll be grateful that many things that we knew in this lifetime are in fact gone, never to return. Hospitals, for example, out of necessity, we're glad we have them right now. But we'll be glad they're not needed in heaven. Amen? Pharmacies 
and grocery stores that lately can't find chicken in certain weeks uh, will never be needed again. Health clubs, home gyms, they'll be a thing of the past. You won't need a Peloton in heaven. Water and electric services. Sometimes they're reliable, sometimes they go out with a storm, but they'll never be needed again in heaven. Long gone. Lawn equipment and weed killer. I'll be glad for that one. Never need Roundup again. Nope, won't be needed. Life insurance. You don't need life insurance. Have you? You're past that, long past that. You have eternal life now. You don't life insurance, 401k, irrelevant. Never to be seen again. Even churches, church buildings, and denominations will cease to exist. I'll say, I'm a Calvary Chapel. I'm a Methodist over here. You know, none of that. Prayer meetings will be replaced by the eternal presence of Jesus Christ. Prayer meetings will be replaced. Next week we have a prayer meeting. Not necessary in the presence of Jesus. But love, agape love, phileo love, they will continue even in heaven. It's going to be there. By the way, you're holding one other thing that will be in heaven right here. This will be in heaven. It's forever settled in heaven. The Bible will be in heaven. Love will be in heaven. This building will not be in heaven. And the same sacrificial love that has saved our souls and has been born in us by the Holy Spirit will be present in heaven and flowing for all eternity in a way that we've not even experienced in this lifetime. Love will be as eternal as our salvation. Just as eternal as our salvation. In Jeremiah 31.3, you know this verse, yes, I have loved you with a everlasting love. Everlasting never ends. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. God drew us with love, but now he's going to love us with an everlasting love. So many things will vanish, but the love of God will not only remain, but it will be lavished on us forever. But as of right now, I think you know, well, we're not in heaven. It's far from heaven on this earth. We're still in a world full of hate, deception, and darkness. And we still have our own flesh to deal with. No matter what, you drag you around everywhere you go. The old man, the old woman, the old part of us that we have to deal with and we have to die to so that the love of God by the Spirit of God can pour forth from our life. Because we don't have a reservoir of love to pour forth. It has to come from God via the Holy Spirit to us. We're nothing but the pipe system. <laughs> the water that comes is from God. And with that understanding, we looked last week at part two of this series, the effective outworking of love, those verses four through seven. We weren't saved to only be loved by God. You know, I'm saved now. God loves me as his own. We weren't saved only to be loved as the child of God, but also now to be instruments 
right now, instruments now, in the short span of that dash between your birth and, or your, let's say your born again birth date at least, till the end of your life, where to be instruments right now to share his love with one another, those of you in this room, those of you that are part of this church fellowship, those of you that are part of the larger body of Christ, we're to be instruments to share his love with one another, your marriage and all kinds of other relationships, and to bring his love to a world that does not know or comprehend the purity of God's love. They have a lot of substitutes for love. We talked about that in the previous week. But not genuine agape love and Neither and will they really have phileo, that brotherly love, e either of those uh, that are the two that are primary in the New Testament. So tonight, uh, in this part three, we're looking at this final section of this beautiful and instructive chapter. If you're taking notes, you see the title again, The Enduring Impact of Love. And as I've been doing throughout this series, there's no sections no subtitles. I'm just going right through the, uh, through the verses. As I frequently do on Sunday, I'll typically have two or three uh, sections. But we're just examining each verse as we go. We'll do probably, like I said, more of that in the Psalms as well. Uh, so verse 8, let's pick it right back up with verse 8. Love never fails. This emphatic statement that really transitions from verses 4 through 7 because you have that list of things that love does not parade itself, it's not puffed up, and it gets all the way to verse 7, endures all things, hopes all things, and love never fails. A three-word sentence there uh, in your Bibles. And it's the launching point of the remainder of the chapter. Love never fails, launches the rest. And, and indeed, love, if it comes from God, love never fails. Fails. Now, we can think of that statement. We can think of that statement, love never fails, because the world can use a statement like that, but they're not thinking of the same love. They're not thinking of the sacrificial love of God. They're not thinking of the way that Jesus loves us as his brethren. But we can think of that statement in much the same way we would be encouraged and are encouraged by this bedrock statement in Isaiah 55, 11, which actually speaks to why, the, why I said in heaven, your Bible, or everything that's in your Bible, not, not literally this leather Bible, but all the words in this Bible will be in heaven, and love will be in heaven. Those things will remain. And you can think of this statement, love never fails, similar to Isaiah 55, 11, where it says, so shall my word that goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what, who pleases? What God pleases, and it shall prosper in the things which I said it. You and I have many times shared a verse with someone that we thought went absolutely nowhere. But this verse says, my word will always accomplish and it will prosper. I say, Lord, but I shared that verse. I shared the gospel. I shared John 3.16. I shared the whole chapter of John 3. And they didn't believe a word I said. It must have been a failure. No. The word never fails. Love never fails. Because God looks at it from his eternal perspective. He knows that it always accomplishes something that is related to to his will being accomplished. Now, it may appear at times, may appear at times that love is failing, but if it's truly the love of God, even in displaced, or, or, um, or I'm sorry, even in when it's displayed in 
flawed vessel like us. So even when the love of God is displayed through us, flawed as that may be, because none of us have ever had a perfect demonstration of love come from us, but we've still had love come from us that definitely was the work of the Holy Spirit, even in our flawed, frail state that we're in right now. It will not fail if it's the work of the Holy Spirit and the love of God. Because at a minimum, at a minimum, God is well pleased and God is glorified when we love through Christ, when we love through the work of the Holy Spirit, when we die to our flesh. We're taking up our cross, if you will, to say, Lord, I'm going to love even though right now I don't feel like it. We've talked about this many times. This is the kind of love that parents have to have to get up in the middle of the night with the kids, to drive them to school when you're exhausted, to do homework, and you're like, I worked all day. I, my brain has nothing left. And you have algebra homework? Right? And love says, Lord, this, is a, this isn't just a flipping prayer. It's a real one. Lord, give me strength. You even see that on sitcoms, but we mean it if we know the Lord. And it really is the love of God that says, you're going to have to put that foot out there. You're going to have to take another step. You're going to have to love. And so, at a minimum, at a minimum, love doesn't fail because it's always walking in the footsteps of Jesus. And anytime we're walking in the footsteps of Jesus, love's not going to fail. Now remember, it's the foundation of all the law and all the commandments. Jesus, they hang on these two. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. We, we talked about in that previously. They all hang on that. But if love, if love cannot fail, um, and we know that Jesus has given us commands to love, then his commands related to love, if we follow them, they can't fail. Here's an example of one. John 13, 35. So if we say, Jesus says, a new commandment I give you. And they all knew. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind. Love your neighbors as yourself. If Jesus quoted those, everyone that was Jewish that had ever gone to the temple, they had heard those passages. They were very familiar with those passages. But Jesus comes along and says to the disciples, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. In other words, he was saying that the, the bond of perfection within the New Testament church, the bond of, the, of perfection within the church, that which would not fail would be if we love one another, then the work of Christ is going to come forth. It may not happen the first few times we exercise it, but the longer... You ever, you ever loved on someone that at first it was really sticky? They did not. It, they weren't clicking with you at all. And you were like one more time away from saying, I'm going to give up. I've tried to love them. They're not, they're not responding. But, but sometimes you've, in life, pushed through a wall, and you found that when you continue to show love, they actually shared some things of like, this is what's been holding me back. This is what, and all of a sudden, you can see a lot of growth. Love plows through some really hard, difficult terrain uh, in human hearts. And so, 
Jesus is saying, you're going to have to love this way within the body of Christ, within the church, but also outside the church. D.L. Moody said, uh, if we have got the true love of God shed abroad in our hearts, and again, it has to be a supernatural work of salvation, we will show it in our lives. We will not have to go up and down the earth proclaiming it. We will show it in everything we say and do. And that kind of love is not going to fail. People are going to be able to see. It's authentic. People are going to see. Uh, yeah, they might resist it, but they'll recognize it. You won't have to say, I'm a really loving person. Like celebrities or, or you know, multi-millionaires say, I have set up a foundation in my name. That's how much I, even though I still have billions left over, I'm going to pass along a couple hundred million to you lesser human beings. And I'm not saying that they really don't want that, that to serve some need, but that's not sacrificial love. Jesus said the woman who gave one little mite gave way more than people who dropped a boatload of money into the treasury. It is not, it, God is not impressed if you're a billionaire and you decide to pay a million to some charity and you have lots and building bigger barns for yourself. That's loving yourself, not loving everybody else. D.L. Moody said if you really have the love of God, it's going to show, it's going to flow, it's going to really change us and it's going to change lives. Now, again, not everyone will respond back with love. Not everybody will respond back with kindness. Even Christians sometimes don't respond well to true agape love, phileo love, brotherly love. Uh, but everyone won't, won't respond with love. They won't all respond with repentance. Some will. And again, addition to the Lord being pleased with us walking that obedience, walking in his love and sharing his love, no matter what, here's where love again never fails. It keeps changing us. Amen? Because you and I in this lifetime, whatever reservoir of love God has perfected in us will continue. It still has more perfecting until the day we die. But chapter 13, it doesn't end with love never fails, does it? That's just the first three words. See? How are we going to get through the rest of it? I will, I promise. Uh, it doesn't end with love never fails. Though if it did... If, it, if the chapter ended right there, if, if, if Paul did not write uh, the rest of verse 8 all the way through verse 13, if it just ended right there, we'd have more than enough to appreciate in verses 1 through 8, those first three, verse, those th first three words of uh, verse 8, we'd have more than enough to appreciate and apply in our life and, and pray to the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, bring this about in me. Remember the disciples, they say, Lord, increase our faith. That's a prayer. I, I still pray to this day. But I also pray, Lord, increase my love. Because my love capacity can grow a lot more. I've been married now. Me and Sarah will come up to marriage. Um, our our anniversary is coming up in, in May. It'll be 28 years for us. And some of you have been married longer than us. Some of you less than us. But I, I, I definitively know. No one has to tell me this. God shows me on a regular basis. As much as I love my wife, my capacity to love her more is, is way, way out there beyond what I think it is. I, I know that uh, there's certain things that still bother me that wouldn't bother Jesus. Anyone else have that? There's certain things that still, my response is less than loving. It's to make a point that Jesus wouldn't do. 
And so you realize that your, your headroom never stops in this lifetime. So there's more than enough here that even if it stopped right here, but it doesn't stop. Nevertheless, Paul continues with a deeper explanation and understanding of the enduring impact of love. Where love is going to be when all is said and done from an eternity standpoint and its impact in us personally. And of course, it should be visible now. It should be having a lasting impact as we mature in the faith. Our love should be maturing. But let me stop and say that these um, remaining verses, these remaining verses are viewed by many biblical scholars in a number of ways. Uh, you, if you've ever studied 1 Corinthians 13 uh, and you've read a lot of different commentaries and you've read from different theologians, you may have come across this. If this is all new to you, well, then I'll give you a little kind of a thumbnail on it. But these remaining verses are, are viewed by scholars in a number of different ways. Some believe that what Paul is pointing to uh, when he starts to say whether there are prophecies, they will fail. It really means just end, not fail in the sense of uh, failure. But where there's prophecies, they will come to an end where he says where there are tongues, they will cease. And, and actually in the Greek uh, where it says prophecies, they will fail, it really seems to indicate a hard stop, like God stopped them. Now this would make sense from the standpoint of from the time the last apostle dies, John, there's no more apostles. Now, there's people today that call themselves apostles, and there is the term. It's, it's not, again, I don't, I don't split hairs if I meet someone who says, hey, this is apostle, so I can have fellowship with them. I understand that there isn't the word apostle, you know, one sent, a messenger, that in that sense, yes, missionaries could fall to that category. But as far as Jesus said, the, the apostles, those that actually had signs, wonders, and saw Jesus physically, physically saw Jesus, those apostles ended with John. You know, Paul was, uh, Paul was just before John, and they ended. But nevertheless, uh, after, and then on top of that, there comes a time when Scripture, the canon of Scripture, was closed. So some look at this and say, uh, Paul is pointing to the cessation or the ending of some of the gifts, not all the gifts, some of the gifts, and there's a lot of debate in the body of Christ about tongues as a gift. I don't have time to get into that tonight, but uh, there's a lot of debate about tongues. Is it really the gift of multiple languages, which guys like George Mueller had, who spoke multiple languages, like six languages, I want to say. Paul spoke multiple languages. Some say, no, it's an unknown tongue. It's, it says it flat there in the Bible. It, it can be a prayer life. Uh, some say it needs an interpreter, so you can still have it. And I think there's room for all of those things. Uh, obviously at Calvary Chapel, we believe that. We believe there's a room for all of those uh, workings of the gifts. But again, some believe that the, all the gifts ended with the apostolic foundation and the work of the apostles was complete. Some of the gifts were ending. And, and clearly, the apostles had, Jesus gave them some of the same power that he had. I have yet to meet people who did the work of the apostles. I have yet to meet people whose handkerchief was healing people. And, you know, I've seen televangelists talk about it, but I've not really seen it with my own eyes. I heard them talk about it, but I've yet to see, you know, people really come and, you know, Peter, you know, and, and do some of the things that the apostles did. Um, again, some believe it's a cessation of certain gifts. And then some believe Paul is speaking of really the completion of the 66 books of the Bible, that when these things are completed, that a, perfection, a perfecting of the word has come. 
Some believe, and I lean this direction, some believe that Paul is pointing to the end of the age with Christ. And I lean in that direction because, and the reason why I lean in that direction is because Paul, if you look at, we talked about 1 Corinthians 13, the, the teaching itself is solid on its own, but it's not on its own. It's always connected to the context of the previous chapter, the coming chapters, so chapter 12, chapter 14, and the entire epistle. You can never separate anything that's in the Bible from the context of the book that it's in and the surrounding, you know, the 2020 rule is 20 verses above, 20 verses below, but that's not all. You have to take the entire epistle into account and the context of who Paul is writing to. So I personally believe uh, that he's pointing more to the end of the age and the perfection that will come with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I lean in that direction because Paul is correcting a literal church, the Corinthian church, that had lots of issues that he's already, pre, read the previous chapters, Paul is a litany of things he's having addressed. They have some serious issues. So I don't believe that Paul went on a theological deep dive on them right here when, and, went and started to speak in code, personally, although I think it can actually allude to some cessation of some of the apostolic, but I believe that the, the greater heart of the, you know, you have the primary meaning, you have secondary meaning. But the primary meaning is he's speaking to a church that has, that needs literal, literal and practical counsel. Does that make sense? Because everything else, look at the verse before it. Love does not parade itself, not rudely. He's talking about actual outworkings I don't know how he would immediately then, now for the next few verses, I'm going to speak in code that y'all are going to figure out about 400 years later. He was speaking to a literal church with literal issues that wasn't showing love. So, that's my end. The key to verse 9 is actually, and it's important to the whole chapter, look with me at chapter, um, chapter 12 and verses 27 through 29. So look how the launching point of chapter, the end of chapter 12 actually informs us a little bit more on the context of chapter 13. Uh, starting in verse, again, chapter 12, verse 27. You're becoming Bible students tonight. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. Now whenever you have a bunch of members, individuals can be problematic or they can all become in harmony. It only takes about, ask any coach in sports, one bad apple can mess up the whole team. You ever had a coach say, we had to get rid of two guys. We have 85 men on the team, but two of them were cancers. They're causing the whole team problem. You know, that happens. And then Paul says, you are all the body of Christ, members and individually, which can be a good thing as long as we're all under the work of the Spirit. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles. And the apostles were the first part of the establishing. Jesus was the chief cornerstone. The apostles, second, prophets. Third, teachers. And of course, we have plenty of teachers today in the, in the pastoral ministry. After that, miracles, the gifts of healings, helps, administration, various uh, tongues are all apostles, um, are all workers of miracle, do all have gifts of healing. He goes on to say that do all speak in tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly, verse 31, earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. Because chapter 13 is practical in nature, he said, now I want to show you 
that even if you were the Apostle Paul, or even if you were the Apostle John, or even if you were like Apollos and you had a prophetic ministry, or Agabus, or one of these other men, and God gave you part of the scripture, and you actually were one of the ones that helped write the book of Jude, or you, you know, all these things, Paul said there's something more excellent than how God's used your gifts, or what God has done through you, and he's going to say that love is more important. There's a lot of nameless people that will never know this side of heaven that poured out love, like, you know, the woman that poured out the ointment on Jesus' feet. That love is lasting, and of course it's going to have a tremendous impact in the body of Christ. Love, if it is being poured through every individual of the larger body, regardless of what your gifts and talents are, if love is coming out of your life, love really will, as we've talked about, that it'll cover a multitude of sins, it'll cover mistakes, it'll cover I didn't mean to offend you, it'll cover I'm sorry I forgot your birthday, I should have known it by now, we've known each other 13 years, I apologize, right? You ever had these things happen? It'll allow for forgiveness, it'll dissipate pride, because pride wells up in us at just when we thought we were over it. Uh, it will serve one another, it will help one another, it'll bring harmony in the church. And Paul's like, all these gifts, yeah, individually and collectively, there's all these different gifts that God has put in the church, in the larger church age, and in individual churches, and, but there's a more excellent way. And so, love will bring harmony in the church, and in your families, and across ministry areas. And we would not think of, well, pastors are important, but missionaries aren't that important. Or, you know, this person's an evangelist, but they're not as important. No. Or this person's a Sunday school teacher. No, you would look at, love says, no, all, all are part of the body, and God wants that love to flow through each and every one of us. But love would be at the core. Love should be at the core of using our spiritual gifts, first to love God, and then to minister to one another. Not impress one another, minister to one another. Serve one another. But the gifts themselves, the gifts, the spiritual gifts, themselves have a temporary shelf life. They have a temporary usage in this lifetime for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of saints being edified, for the building up of the saints. Even our marriages, and this bums some of us out, I know, even our marriages are just for this lifetime. Jesus said, the angels are neither married nor given a marriage. You are mistaken. Because remember, they, they posed him a, what they said was the situation. This man, her husband died. The next husband died. The next husband died. The next husband said, whose husband? And Jesus said, you don't understand how things work and happen. Even our marriages have a temporary lifetime. You know, and, you know, like Elizabeth Elliot's been married like three times because her husband was killed there as a missionary there in South America. Then she marries another husband who's a godly man, and he dies. And so even our marriages in this lifetime, they're for this span. But love... Agape love, the sacrificial love of God, is the perfecting of this lifetime for the perfecting of the church, but it also is for the enjoyment of all eternity. Again, it'll, it'll bathe the church now and keep the church humble, but it'll also bathe the church for all eternity in heaven. Gifts are to be used now in the age of grace, in the church age, 
for the building up of the church and for the unity of the church and for us to be sent out as the church. But it's all to be done in love. And the gifts will someday be folded into the confines of time. And our lives here, and then, just like our gifts will be folded, and our, this body will be folded, and we'll get a new body, a new glorified body. And then we'll be in the presence of the living word, who is love incarnate. He, sa- he goes on to say, whether there are prophecies, they will fail, or they will end. Hard stop. It, it even seems to indicate that God would stop them. And I do believe that may very well point to the end of the canon of Scripture. But he goes on to say, tongues, they will cease. They'll just kind of dissipate. Knowledge, it'll vanish away. There won't be um, any more knowledge needed. They'll come to an end where God says, no more teaching the word. Uh, the end of the world has come. Not going to be any more pastoral teaching. You know, there's going to be an end. That, but when that which is perfect has come, that which is in part is done away. Even... Even right now, everything we do is in part. When none of us have ever fully been able to explain everything in the Bible. There's things that we we partially understand, and we can't even fully... Can I get an amen on that? I mean, again, you've probably heard different pastors preach on the same text. And um, uh, I was was telling... Pastor Tito and I were talking about this recently. Um, there's, There's things that sometimes... Uh, that we see in the, uh, even, even the words of Jesus himself, at the end of uh, the book of John, this, this is an example of this, uh, where Jesus uh, tells, let me read it to you, bonus material right here, this is uh, not in my notes, but anyway, uh, Jesus says, um, Peter turns around, at the end of chapter uh, 21 in the book of John, um, he says, Lord, Peter, uh, Peter seeing John, says, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus says, if I will that he remains... Till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So he tells Peter, don't worry about John. My plan for John is my plan for John. My plan for you is my plan for you. Whatever you think John is getting or not getting, you don't worry about it. What is it to you if he remains till I come? Verse 23, then this saying went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but he says, if, he was, uh, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? So, they all heard the same thing from Jesus. They got it wrong, but it's not a false teaching. But they misunderstood what he said. They went out and said, John's not going to die. And, they kept, and Jesus didn't even seem to correct them on the spot. He didn't even say, because he knew what they were thinking. He could have stopped and said, no, 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 I did not say that. All, he actually said, no, what is it to you if I... But they still didn't get it. And so for a while, until John finally did die, then when John died, they're like, oh, he meant if he didn't die. But for the entire time, and John lives to be, we believe, about 100, there was a group of people that thought, and they loved the Lord, and they totally misunderstood the statement. And they would be adamant. If you got into a Christian coffee discussion with them, they would tell you, John is not going to die. I was there. I heard Jesus say it. And like, but is that what he meant? Yes, it's what he meant. That's what he said. But it's not what he meant, right? 
And you see that Jesus says other things that sometimes they didn't get until later on. And then, the, oh, the light bulbs went off. How did we miss that? And so Paul, I believe, is alluding to some of those things that we know in part. We know in part. And, and it's one thing to get something wrong. It's another thing to mislead and false teach. And two different things. So I hope that makes sense to you. Um, but verse 10, look at the verse 10. Uh, he goes on to say, but that which is uh, perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. When the perfection of Christ and the heavenly temple is our home, all the foreshadows will fade. All the foreshadows will fade. And he goes into verse 11. He said, uh, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. And I thought as a child. But when I became a child, I mean, when I became a man, I put away childish things. And again, some really believe that this passage is talking about the full canon of scripture right here, uh, and, and I, I don't see this at all. I, I don't see the early work of the church as being childish and immature. <laughs> I actually see the early work of the church as something we need to return to. Uh, I do not see that, uh, you know, th this would have been kind of the immature days of the church. These were dying for the faith right out of the gate. So I, I hardly think that that's what Paul is getting at. But again, you'll read some commentaries that will say that. I don't see it. I, I see Paul is talking practically because, again, this goes back to verses 4 and 7. Rude, prating yourself, these things. Um, so let me talk on why I think that. Um, for now, we need the essential. If you look at verse 11, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, understood as a child. Uh, for right now, we need the essential work of love to saturate our lives. And those that are growing in love are actually growing. You know, Sam Nadler's a mentor of mine. He's been telling me that for years. He said, you're not, if you're not growing in love, you're not growing. If you're not growing in love, you're not growing. And so those that are growing in love truly are growing. Doesn't mean you're perfect, but if you say, man, I really am, I'm becoming more patient. I'm becoming more long-suffering. I'm finding myself less rude, less often. You're growing. And what Paul says here is about, he says, becoming a man. This is such a practical insight that he inserts here along with some of these other practical. Love, think about it like this. Love grows up. Love grows up. Those that love God and love others know they must grow up. They have to grow up. If there's not a grown-up in the house, the kids are going to starve, right? Love has to grow up. It must mature in Christ. This is so important for uh, all adults in Jesus and all of us as disciples. And Paul specifically addresses his own gender here about him being a man and what all men that put into a child's thing, Paul said, you've got to become a man. Men... It was okay for us. And it's still okay, for dads, if you like to play Star Wars figures with your little kids. That's cool and all. I, did, I loved doing all that. When my girls were little, you know, I loved playing with little people and all this stuff with them. And it's okay when you were younger and you loved your Tonka trucks. That's a 70s toy right there. Yeah, I think they're still around. But um, as a kid, you could run around the neighborhood. You can play in the forest all day, eat wild strawberries, do all the stuff that we did with the neighborhood kids. And parents owned all the headaches of responsibility. We own none of that. We come home and just say, what's for dinner? 
That was the extent of our worries. And complained if it wasn't something we... But that didn't last long because you, you ate what you got what you got back in the 70s. Were you getting green beans again? Yes. But when we became men, and more importantly spiritually, men of God, men changed by Jesus... Men called to be disciples and to make disciples, we answer the call to mature. We say, all right, Lord, I don't want to grow up, but I have to grow up. I have to grow up. And this happens before marriage and children. I mean, this is not just speaking to men with, with wives. And if you're a single man here tonight or a single lady, it's not just speaking to those with marriage and children. We see mighty men of God, such as Joseph, Samuel, David, Daniel, they were all mature well before they had marriage and children. They were all mature. They had already put away childish things. That's why God could use them the way he could. Because they were willing to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. God says, because you're willing to love me, I can entrust you with these ministry areas. And becoming a mature and godly man uh, has even more positive impact once we do have a wife and children because now your love for God is spread to more people. There's an exponential. You're now, your love is having a ripple effect inside your home, or should. Or if there's a lack of love, it's having a negative effect inside the home. You see, love willingly surrenders to the will of God, and the will of God is for us to take on responsibility. All of us, especially men, because he, even when Adam and Eve fell, he went to Adam first, right? Adam, where were you, right? Tried to pass the buck, but that doesn't work. You see, uh, even there in the garden, uh, we're called, uh, God's called us as men to take on responsibility, more responsibility with the help of the Lord, but uh, we're, we're not tending a garden like Adam did. But we're to tend our personal communion with Christ. So if I meet with a man and I say, tell me about your devotional life. Well, I read the Bible last month. You don't love God right now. You don't. You can tell yourself that you do. But again, if you love the Lord, you'll love his word. He is the word. He's the one that said we need daily bread. And so it doesn't mean you're not saved, but it's time to grow. It's time to mature. It's time to say, Lord, I want to be in that loving communion with you. Uh, It's time to tend to the little flock God's given you. If you have a family, you have to tend to that little flock, and it's not always easy. It will probably mean cutting out some of your, well, I like to do this as my me time. No. You've got to help them grow and help them grow in the grace of God. Every husband and father has been called to be these four things, a provider, a protector, a prophet, and a priest in their home. In their home. That's why Paul said if you have a healthy home, you're going to have a healthy church. If you've got unhealthy homes, they won't have. So provider, protector, prophet, and priest in our home. Not all of us, you know, have seen those roles as and outflow the love of God, but they are. That because God loves us enough to provide all those things for us, doesn't he, in Jesus? And he says, now I'm passing along the same baton that you have to grow, and that's why Paul said I had to become a man. I had to become a man after God's own heart. What, we love to say that about David. Why do we say that just about David? We should be saying that about all of us, right? A man after God's own heart. David was a man after God's own heart, but no one else is. No. 
He's called all of us to be a man after God's own heart. Uh, not one of us are called to be workaholics for our careers. Hello, Ben. Your, your number one calling is to love Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your family and disciple them. Yes, you do have to provide a living, but none of us are called to be workaholics for our careers. None of us are called to be professional TV watchers. Everybody can get good at that. It's not even hard, right? And now you can take your TV everywhere. It's on your phone and everything else. You can, none of us are called to be professional TV watchers or news junkies or, uh, you know, video game experts or addicted to technology and all these distractions that we have and meet time but no family time and, you know, uh, all the other hobbies and interests and distractions and idols especially if they're keeping us from Christ and shepherding our home. All of us have those things that can inundate us. And Paul said, I've had to learn some of these things I have to chuck. I have to toss them off. They're, just, they're not just immature. They can be downright destructive. Uh, if you've been saved by the grace of Christ and into the love of Christ, we uh, are now to love and appreciate his design for our lives as maturing servants and feet washers, men, in our marriages, feet washers in our marriages, but also feet washers in our home, if we have other family, in the church, washing each other's feet, and the world. The Apostle John wrote in 1 John 3.14, we know that we have passed from death to life. This is how you, you want to say, like, I wonder, do I have the evidence that I'm really saved? We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. If I meet a person that says, I'm saved, but I do not want to hang out with Christians. Like, you need to go read the book of 1 John and really get with the Lord and say, Lord, have I really been changed from the inside out or do I just have a religious tag or some experience? Because if you really, he says, you, we know, John says, this is how you know you pass from death to life. You now love the brethren. You all of a sudden love Christians you thought were weird but you love them anyway, and you want to serve them. By the way, John, just so you know, the, the Apostle John used the word love in the book of John more than any other book in the New Testament. The second book where it's the most is the book of 1 John. It's not even close. John is like, I want to say 50 times. I want to say 1 John is like 27 times. And then there's a huge drop down to one of the Gospels like 13 times. John was the apostle uh, that carried the banner of love, but Paul grabs the baton in chapter 13 and says, let me take a crack at this with the Holy Spirit. And so, but John speaks about love a lot. And that maturing, because John speaks about love so much, it's not surprising that John says there's three levels within the body. There's children, young men, and fathers. And the love of God grows in you. You grow from a young child in the faith, eating, uh, you know, drinking spiritual milk and things like that, into solid food, a young man in the faith, and then all the way to a father, like a patriarch, an Abraham, an Isaac, a Jacob, those kind of, and the, the apostles. But it's not just the men. We're about to bring this to a close, but it's not just the men being called to be men of God uh, and discard the childish things uh, that would get in our way. But this is obviously for the ladies too. Paul's speaking to men, but it would be true for ladies too. Ladies also have to lay aside the childish thing. The call is the same uh, for ladies to become mature women of God. Notice what Paul says. He says, I put away. I put away. 
We have to personally, intentionally, no one, I cannot put away your childish things for you, and you cannot put away my childish things for me. You can notice them. That's why God's given us spouses at times. The spouse can help you notice a childish thing, but you are still going to have to personally put it away. Paul said, I have put away. No, he didn't say, John did it for me, or Apollos did it for me. Paul had to put away childish things. We have to personally, intentionally put down the sippy cup of our area's immaturity like a toddler that we still want to hold on to. And Jesus is saying, you got to let go of that. I'm calling you to not only have a cup, but a pitcher that you can pour into and serve your children, to serve your family, to serve in um, you know, children's ministry or something. And why does Paul even include this exhortation to love? Just as we must mature in mind and body from childhood to adulthood, so must disciples and the church body at large, not just individual disciples, but the, the body of Christ, as he mentions back in chapter 12, verse 27. So must the body, the whole church, all of Calvary Chapel Richmond, must mature in love so we can truly grow and become strong against the darts of the enemy. If we're not growing in love, we will end up having backstabbing, infighting, ministry stuff. The mind is important. Yours is not. My gift is awesome. Why don't you have this gift? Why doesn't everybody have this gift? You ever meet a person that's just laser focused on one topic? After a while, really gets on a lot of people's nerves. It's really not helpful, right? And love says, you know, I don't need to do that. Might be your thing, but you can't beat everybody over the head with it and things. So love tempers all of those things. A church of toddlers will fail in this world. A church of nothing but toddlers. Can you imagine uh, if we sent a bunch of toddlers to take on an army? But remember, we can't do this. Uh, you know, that, we can laugh at that, but we can't do it without God's help. He's the source. Jonathan Edwards was a great man of God, but I love he says this. He says, being sensible, and he knew this because Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing in John chapter 15. But Jonathan Edwards says, being sensible that I am unable to do anything anything with God's help. I do humbly entreat him by his grace to enable me to keep these resolutions so far as they are agreeable to his will for the sake or for Christ's sake. Jonathan Edwards is right. He's like, I can't even do the most basic things that I've resolved to do unless God helps me. And so, you know, man, it's daunting to put away childish things. Ladies, it's daunting. It's easier to just surf Facebook than actually go do what God's calling you to do. I get it. Sometimes we want to check out because if we can just put the problems out of our mind, but love says, no, I must. God, help me. Give me the strength to do these things because there's a greater work. God wants more people to come. Growing in love is always the will of God. Growing in love is always the will of God. Last two things, quickly, verse 12. For, these, for we now see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. He says, look, this is Paul speaking. Paul says, then I'm going to know just as I am known. Now, Paul has been caught up into the heavens. Paul has had Jesus himself came to him on the road to Damascus and convert him. Paul's had experiences that you and I have only read about in the scriptures. And Paul is saying, I'm seen dimly. If the Moseses and the Pauls could only see dimly the truth of God's glory, what do you think the rest of us have seen? 
even dimmer. It's a paradox. It's a paradox that we're to put off childhood and become mature servants of Christ, yet at the same time, we're called to have simple childlike faith. We're to put off childish things, but have childish faith. Isn't that interesting? It's a paradox that we're to put off the childish thing, have this childish faith that gives us the faith to be obedient, to be effective in this world, to reflect the love of Christ until we see him face to face. And then we'll realize how little we knew in this lifetime. And yes, that includes every pastor that's ever preached. We'll all say, wow, <laughs> we didn't know much at all. And Jesus said, exactly, but I used you anyway. It was by the Spirit and by the grace and through the love, displayed in love. And so verse 13, our last verse, and now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And these, they will abide as we abide. It is the root that determines the fruit in our life. It's always the root that determines the fruit in our lives. And as we abide, Jesus is love, so we'll become more loving. And these are fruits of the Spirit. Faith, hope, and love are all fruits of the Spirit. We, we understand that, right? These are fruits of the Spirit. They're listed in Galatians, for example. These are fruits of the Spirit that, that Paul is speaking of. Understand that Jesus wants the disciples, wants his disciples that are full of faith, full of hope, full of love. He wants a church that is full of these things. He wants a church that is full of faith in who Jesus is and what his word says and what we're believing. He wants a church that has that kind of faith that is completely believing in Jesus and his word. He wants us to have hope. What is hope? He wants us to have a, a joyful expectation that we will see the perfection of Christ for all eternity. We know, we, we know that more than we know our social security number. You might know it by, but you know that you will see the perfection of Christ face to face even more than you know your social security number. And lastly, these three fruits of the Spirit, that love is what we're living out for the sake of Christ and we will continue to live it out in all eternity in the presence of Christ. Right now it's for the sake of Christ, but then it will be in the presence of Christ. And Paul is saying that the fruit of the Spirit outweighs the gifts of the Spirit. Does that make sense? Remember he talked about the gifts in chapter 12, but he's saying the fruit of the Spirit is more valuable to one another. If I love you, it's more valuable to you than if I say, watch my gift. Right? You can see a lot of gifted people, but when they love you, this is my closing quote. William McDonald says, Love is the greatest of the graces because it's the most useful to others. It is not self-centered, but it is other-centered. So when you have an entire church body, or you have a family, mom, dad, and the kids, any, any constitution of all believers together, love will be greater than the gifts, but the gifts will operate. They'll just operate in love, which then makes the gifts that much more powerful and effective. But if there's not love, the gifts become a wrecking ball. Isn't that interesting? The very things that God gave that would be so great become a source of pride and all these other things. So, brothers and sisters, none other than the one who's loved and gave us his life for us. He's the only one that's loved us with an everlasting love. But, let's by the Spirit 
Let's grow in the love of God. Let's see miracles. As we grow in love of God, we'll see miracles in our life. We'll see miracles in other people's lives. Do you believe that? Yes. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your amazing grace that has saved us and your love that you've lavished upon us. Lord, we, we can read these truths, but Lord, we ask that you would help them to sink deep into our spirit, into our soul. And Lord, that we would, in fact, be rooted in the love of Jesus and that it would flow into the branches of our life and into the fruit that we'd have a season, even here in this church, in the marriages, in the families, in the homes. We'd have a season of love flourishing and we would see new fruit of disciples made and relationships restored and people, Lord, just brought into fellowship that are on the outside edges. And Lord, as we all mature and we put away the childish things, it's not the same for everybody, Lord. You show each person what their childish things are. But Lord, as we yield to the Spirit, that more of your love will flow through us and to one another and making us that much more effective and ministering as feet washers to one another. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.